0: It's time for the Crunch Time Plays podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your
1: host, Bennett Ganey. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Crunch Time Plays. Whether you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, just thank you so much for listening today. And make sure you subscribe to the all-new Crunch Time Plays YouTube channel so you can follow the show on there as well. We've got one of the great men that covers college football today, college football reporter from Twenty Four Seven Sports, Mr. Brandon Marcello. Brandon, what's up, man? Not much.
0: Thanks for having me on, man.
1: Oh, uh, you're welcome. And uh, so I got to ask you before we started, how's did you fill out a bracket for March Madness? How's how's that looking for you? Uh,
0: I did not. Um, you know, I haven't the last few years, to be quite honest. It's crazy, and this year more than any, I, I've. Uh, not completely out of it. I'm still watching, but I I like know almost nothing, next to nothing about any of these teams because for the first time in like twelve years, I'm not covering a basketball team or, or something like that. So I I've, I'm completely disconnected like when I see these schools and everything. I'm like I, I I don't know who should be good. So I I I'd be terrible at picking a bracket this year.
1: Oh, I I pay I fill one out and it's it's looking. It's looking pretty bad right now, but uh but you know there's a lot of also stuff happening with you with college football. There's so many coaching changes and and during this off season have you have you gotten a chance to kind of take a deep breath and kinda uh, catch up from all that?
0: yeah, a little bit you know um focusing a lot on spring practices right now, but uh you know also looking ahead to the n f l draft, which is just around the corner know a lot of pro days are going on right now and um you know coaching changes that that season the silly season's kind of slowed down we'll probably have you know a little bit of maybe of a bump not necessarily with some coaching changes but you'll start seeing some uh you know personnel on staffs and also um you know uh you know some of the assistant coaches maybe and then also of course the players you'll probably have more players hitting the transfer portal after they get done with spring practices so Right now, it's kind of about just trying to spin things forward and seeing what these teams look like going into the next fall.
1: I wanted to ask you a generic question real quick about kind of all the candidates, and then we'll get into some of the specific ones with you. But who's, who's maybe the guy that we might look up uh, five years from now and, and kind of see him uh, doing really well and competing for conference championships and a college football playoff spot?
0: Among the new guys this year? Or yeah. just anybody.
1: The new guys. I, I don't know if we'll
0: see any of those new coaches doing so. Maybe Steve Sarkeesian just because he's at Texas where they're capable of doing that. But, you know, I don't see that coming from Tennessee anytime soon, obviously, with everything they're going through with the NCAA. I, I like Josh Heupel as a coach. Uh, I really liked what he did at Mizzou as an offensive coordinator. But, man, he, he's he got a big, big hill to, to climb there at Tennessee just to be competitive again. Um. You know, potentially maybe UCF with Gus Malzahn, maybe they could be the first group of five school to at least maybe be in the playoff conversation if he somehow gets through a conference season undefeated. But listen, the jury's way still out there on that. I want to see how Gus Malzahn does his first year because among all those first-year coaches, I think he's the one you can really judge just based off his first year because he's got the talent there this, this year. And he should win nine games, and if he comes anything below that, I think he's going to get quite a bit of uh you know criticism from the fan base there, which is probably welcomed and probably needed because that's a program that's on the precipice of being able to do something great, and Malzon's supposed to be the guy that gets him over the hump after having some coaches like Scott Frost and Hype will come through there, you know be able to get them to that competitive level, but just haven't quite gotten over the hump and Malzahn's the guy that, listen, this is supposed to be his last big job. And if he's going to get it done, he, this is the place he's going to have to do it. And um, let's see if Gus Malzahn, he's evolved as a coach or if he's kind of stuck in the mud spinning his tires. That's going to be a very interesting storyline that is probably going to be overlooked quite a bit next year, um, but something I have my eyes on. But, you know, I, I think Steve Sarkeesian is probably your guy, maybe in the next five years. Um, you know, great offensive mind. We all know that from what we've seen. But the other thing is that no one talks about really about him is just that, listen, he's he's a pretty dang good head coach. He proved it at Washington. And then, of course, he ran into trouble off the field, just in his personal life, you know, dealing with stuff, um, with addiction at uh, U, uh, USC. And, you know, has re- rehabilitated his image, has, has become a better man in, in, at Alabama, and now is at texas and i think you know this is a guy that's not just a great oc but is a very good head coach and you know texas needs some stability they've they've been going through coaches and trying to find the right fit since mac brown and um i think sarkeesian could very well be that guy of course he's got to continue to keep that recruiting up to the elite level that they're accustomed to but maybe even be better than what they've seen over the last four years and um I don't know if it's going to be an immediate hit there, but may hey, like you said, maybe within the next five years, he's competing for a spot in playoff, which where he's at, all that all that is required to get to that point is to win the Big 12 championship, which Texas should be able to do at least every other year.
1: Oh yeah, there's no doubt about that, I, but I wanted to ask you about what he might have taken away from, with Sarkeesian specifically, what he's taken away from Alabama, he's Spent a, a few years there with Nick Saban and, and kind of the the coaching rehab, if you will, if if you want to call it that. It seems like a lot of the a lot of the coaches go there to kind of uh, get some more confidence before they move on to another head job. But what it, what did he learn from Coach Saban that he can take with him to Texas and and how much it did being with Coach Saban and his staff benefit him?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I guess what could really fill you in on that is talking to. Uh, assistant coaches that have been with Nick Saban here in recent years alongside Steve Sarkeesian and have since moved on to other schools. And the number one thing that I always hear from those guys is that they're, the number one lesson they've learned from Nick Saban is hire as many support staff people as you can. <laughs> have a huge, huge support staff, which is difficult to do at the smaller schools because of money. But at Texas, that's not an issue. The more, the better. But Nick Saban, you know, listen, you don't just throw money at a problem; think it's going to be fixed, or hire a bunch of people. The issue is you get all those people on the same staff, but you have to have it be very organized with it and have make it into a well-oiled machine. Otherwise, you got people doing their own thing, and things get lost in the cracks and Saban is a master at handling staffs and having everything working in order and in his image, and um, that's what these assistant coaches have learned the most from him. You know, um, and I think at Texas, that's the thing that'll Steve Sarkeesian will take with him. There is this is how Alabama did it. This is the blueprint I am taking, and I'm going to mold into my my own version, and we're going to get it going that way. And um, you know. Obviously, at Alabama, there's much more that goes into it, particularly, I mean, listen, they're getting five, you know, first or second round NFL draft picks a year on the recruiting trail. So, you know, really, I mean, not a lot of other schools. In fact, no other schools doing that, really. Um, and But Texas is equipped to be able to get the same type of recruiting classes. They just haven't quite been able to do it and develop those guys into consistent players once they're on campus. And so that's what Steve sarkisian has got to do. He's got every tool available that he needs to win a national championship there. He's just got to be able to have that vision and that command of his staff and also his players to be able to do it. And listen, there's no better place to to kind of learn that and adapt a blueprint than Alabama.
1: How do you think Steve, Car- Steve Sarkisian will handle the, the kind of the, the ocean that is uh, Texas, especially with the, there's a lot of boosters and, and everybody down there that want to have a piece of that program. They want to play a part in the decisions that are being made around that program. And I don't, I don't think Charlie Strong was the best at handling it, and I don't, I'm not sure that Tom Herman was either. But will will Sart be better than those guys? And and how would he go about handling those types of situations?
0: Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I think with Sarkeesian, the best thing he can do is win immediately and win right away. Um, otherwise, those those boosters are going to be on his back from the get go. But you know, listen he's going to have a buffer between himself and those boosters, at least for the first year or two. After that, the Wolves will come out if he's seemingly underperforming in their eyes or there's something they don't really like in the way he's handling the program. But as we all know, I mean, this, listen, this is universal across college football. If you're winning, you, you're not going to have that that pushback from the boosters. And so, you know, listen, he wins nine, 10 games this year. I think he's going to have even more of a buffer there and buy himself another couple of years to kind of continue to build what he wants without some interference. Um, but, you know, I think for now he's in a good spot. Any first year coach will be there, even if it wasn't a hire that they wanted. But by all, uh, you know, everything I've been hearing, this is the guy that, that they're pretty happy with getting this guy, Steve Sarkeesian, and being able to uh, get the type of staff that, that he wanted. Um, so, you know, got to win, though, and uh, we'll see what he does this year. I'm
1: going to move to the SEC with you uh, now and talk about Josh Heupel. We've kind of touched on him already, but his his defense, he's a very offensive-oriented coach, and they his defense spends a lot of time on the field, at, especially at UCF. How does that translate to the SEC? I know a lot. Of, I mean, the way the game's moving towards. I mean, you you want to score forty points a game and and different things like that, but you also want to have, you know, not a, a great defense, but an average defense in this day and time. And a lot of the the complaints with Heupel is is his defense spends a lot of time on the field since the offense goes so fast. How how's he going to go about balancing that, and and how important do you think that is in the SEC? Yeah,
0: I mean, listen, he's going to – I'm sure he's probably going to go in and do what he wants um, uh, as far as what we've seen um, in the past at UCF. But he's going to have to to kind of adjust based off his personnel and obviously what he's able to accomplish on the field once they get out there. I mean, he's probably got to slow things down a little bit, and I've seen this with other coaches in the SEC where – You know, like a Gus Malzahn, where we're so accustomed to see him do, hurry up, and then when the personnel offensively isn't doing so hot, he slows things down and kind of goes completely against what what he wants to do. But um, I think is probably going to be the same way. What will be interesting to see is if whether he tries to be uh, really fast, the tempo, you know, that very first game or not, and if they're struggling, how quick he he adjusts there. Um, But the, the deeper problem at Tennessee. You know, besides the NCAA cloud that's hanging over them, is is going to be talent and recruiting and getting the type of players that fit his offense and also on the defensive side that makes them not just competitive in the SEC, but gets them to a level where Tennessee fans have been so hungry to reach again, which is contending for an SEC East title. And at this point, to be able to do that, you got to have a top five recruiting class now. It's not just top 10 or top 15, it's top five because. Georgia's had what number one classes and two of the last three or two of the last four years in the country, and they're always in the top five. Um, you know, listen, there is a very wide gap between top five recruiting classes and top 10 recruiting classes. If you look at it, it is very wide. We're talking about not just a difference in stars, but we're talking about a difference between a five star and a four star player can be the world. Nowadays, when you look at these rosters, so um, to me, that's the biggest concern I would have with Heupel's recruiting. Because I know I'm deviating from the point here, but if if you look and talk to people in Heupel's past in his last couple years at UCF, UCF was struggling to recruit in the state of Florida. They weren't getting the type of players that they necessarily needed and wanted. And at Tennessee, it isn't like you got in a you just you're not. Recruiting Florida. I mean, Florida is one of the top spots for Tennessee to recruit, and he's got to improve that. And here in the early goings, there's still some struggles um, with with the recruiting there for Heupel at Tennessee. So, I'd keep an eye on that more than anything.
1: Speaking of recruiting, the 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 thing that's and we've touched on it. The thing that's looming over Tennessee is the dark cloud that is the the investigation that's currently going on. Have you have you gotten any word on on where we are with that and and what possibly those uh, sanctions could look like. And if not, how would you go about handling the situation at Tennessee? What, what kind of things would you want to see happen?
0: I, I have not heard anything on that. I'm not as plugged in when it comes to the NCAA with Tennessee and that investigation. And and I think uh, a lot of people are kind of just, you get to a certain point with these investigations where everybody just kind of sits around and waits. And that's what kind of where Tennessee is at right now. Um, you know, If I was Hypo, I I would just try my best to, you know, I know I'm not going to get every recruit I want, which no one ever is going to, but I would try to strengthen as many relationships as I can with high school coaches at the big time recruiting hotspots and be like, hey, listen, I know maybe some of your kids that we want right now would not even consider us right now, but, you know, keep us in in your Rolodex, so to speak, and let's keep talking and everything because we're going to start winning here at Tennessee and we'll show you. And maybe we're not necessarily winning nine, ten games this upcoming season, or or a year down the road. But you're going to see improvements within development of the program. You're going to start hearing great things about us. And I want these kids. Once everything starts to settle, and we figure out what exactly is going to have the NCAA. If you got a four or five star kid here in the next year or two, I want to be able to walk into your school and have them have their eyes open to the possibility of joining us at Tennessee and be able to take the next step. We're going to take a step or two before we get to them and maybe they consider us, but I want them to be part of that third or fourth step, not necessarily the first step or the second step, but maybe that third or fourth step to get Tennessee back on the map. So I would really just try to develop those type of relationships that kind of could be a beneficial for them two or three years down the road on the recruiting trail. And then when it comes to just coaching, I mean, listen, I think he's got to be very flexible. As I said, he's got to be versatile, With his offense, he's got to be willing to change things based off the personnel, talent deficiencies and everything that goes along with that. And then I would really try to make sure that um, I've got great assistant coaches that have bought into the program. Because you're asking these recruits to buy into your program with this NCAA cloud hanging over them. I want assistant coaches that are going to be with me there and want to be there for the long haul for four or five years. I don't want guys to come in and be there for a year or two and just jet for the first other job opportunity at a school that's not dealing with NCAA issues. I want guys that are bought in and be, truly believe in what we're doing and don't just say it on Twitter to kind of get the attention of a recruit overnight.
1: Talking to Brandon Marcello from 24-7 Sports and I want to move to, to a couple other the the East hires with you real quick and talk about this whole um, maybe dream job kind of conundrum with, with Shane Beamer and Cart Lee at Vanderbilt. I know we hear a lot of guys say, Oh, this school's my dream job. And but it seems like to me that that Shane Beamer and Cart Lee are really considering this, their golden opportunity, their dream jobs. What what does that mean for those two programs, South Carolina and Vanderbilt?
0: You know, yeah, you know, I'd start with Shane Beamer, and I truly believe this is his dream job for him. I think just being a head coach at a Power 5 program, anywhere is a dream job, but it's somewhere in South Carolina where he's previously coached and coached during some of the most successful tenures and also built the best recruiting classes as a recruiting ca- coordinator in South Carolina history. Um This is a place where he knows that he can bring those type of kids in to contend for an SEC East championship like Steve Spurrier was able to do with his recruits when he was a recruiting coordinator uh, there in Columbia. And, you know, listen, we everybody I wrote a story about this. I talked to Shane Beamer uh, a month or so ago about how. You know, everybody's always looked at him like, oh, you're you're Frank Beamer's son. You know, this is the only reason why you got into coaching is because of him. The only reason why you landed this job or that job is because of your dad. And he even talked to me about how even in high school, he remembers being named the starting left fielder on the baseball team in high school. And people were going, well, the only reason why he started left field is because of his dad. (laughs) It's like, what? Um, You know, and it isn't like Beamer was a fast riser in the coaching industry either. He's been in coaching for 20 years. Um, He got into coaching in the year 2000 after he got done as a walk-on long snapper at Virginia Tech with his dad. And instead of trying to get on with his dad, which he could have done as a graduate assistant at Virginia Tech, he was able to quickly try to get a job somewhere else, Georgia Tech, and had to prove himself through the coaching ranks for 20 years to the point where he could be in the conversation of landing a head coaching gig, and even now, maybe the the conversation around him, the cynicism around him would is not necessarily well, he's frank beamer's son. it was well, this guy's never been a coordinator, he's never called plays he's always just been an assistant coach, a position coach, but you talk to people at Oklahoma, I mean the Oklahoma fans and the staff there loved him, they thought that he would be their head coach at o u should you know. Uh, coach Riley ever decide to go to the NFL or something like that? <clears throat> so that's how well thought of he was in Norman. And so if 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 the program at Oklahoma, which is what <laughs> is just winning Big Twelve championships year after year and is going to the playoff, other than this past year, and they're saying, hey, we wanted Shane Beamer to be our head coach. Should Lincoln Riley ever leave us? I think I think that makes the South Carolina you know higher. A good one but still South Carolina fans are questioning it some of them um, some have come around but for Beamer this is kind of as you said it's kind of his dream job so you got a guy who people wanted to be the OU coach potentially down the road now at South Carolina and he's views South Carolina as his dream gig that seems to me to be a home run higher at least from from the start here from the starting lane not necessarily it might not be two years from now we all know that but you got to feel good about it right now with all that considered and that backstory whether he can get there is all going to depend on recruiting and he knows that i mean the recruiting's the lifeblood of every program but south carolina to get things turned around there they've really got to turn things around on <clears throat> in recruiting which they've been struggling with these last few years and um that's where they got to make some inroads and so I'm in ch- really interested to see how things work out there. And, and when it comes to Clark Lee at Nashville, I think you're dead on. I mean, listen, he grew up in Nashville. He's born in Nashville. He played for Vanderbilt. Um, you know, And I see Clark Lee as a guy – this is just me talking. I haven't heard anybody tell me this, but he strikes me as a guy based off of the way he built his staff <clears throat> and the way he's approaching the job at, at Vanderbilt, that should he be successful at Vanderbilt and – were to ever want to move on, it would end up being the NFL. I don't think he would maybe go, maybe he would go to a, a bigger gig in in college football, but he strikes me more as a guy that would succeed in maybe in the NFL in the future, because He's got a lot of guys on staff. It's a good mix, but a, he's got a lot of guys on his staff with a lot of NFL experience. He's going for the development route on campus. He's not necessarily going, hey, maybe we get a four-star here or there. He's like, let's get some three-stars and two-star kids, and I'm going to get the best coaches with some NFL experience, but also some guys who have a really strong background developing players so that when these guys come on campus two or three years down the road, we develop them into, say, four. some of them as four-star guys. So he's going that route. Whether it works, I don't know. It's it's risky. But at Vanderbilt, you're just not going to get the type of talent that makes you an SEC East contender. You've got to develop it and maybe luck into a couple of guys that, that might be a four- or five-star guy here and there, maybe every couple of years. But um, Clark Lee and, and Shane Beamer, as you said, two guys, they're kind of at home where they're at in, the, in their – in their minds, and um, that's going to make them work harder than say maybe at some other schools.
1: You mentioned support staff earlier with Coach Saban, and wanted to ask you about a guy that that Cartley hired or Cartley hired at Vanderbilt, and that's uh, one of your former colleagues there at twenty four seven and Barton Simmons. What what does he kind of bring to the table? And he's he's got a general he's a general manager type role. What what would you equate that to in other programs? And will we start to see? Uh, some coaching staffs have a general manager type role in the future.
0: Yeah, you know it's really not anything new. We we've been seeing that the last few years in college football, these these coaches hire quote unquote general managers, um, and you know uh, I know Georgia Tech's done it under Jeff Collins, Herm Edwards has done it, at Arizona State, several other programs, and off the top of my head I can think of have done it. Obviously, Vanderbilt, as you mentioned with Barton Simmons, and you know really. They they call it general manager, and the first thing that pops up in your head when you hear that is NFL, a guy with business experience that's running everything in the front office. But in college football, it could be a, a variety of roles that they're actually fulfilling, and maybe not necessarily all of them are the same or comparable uh, from program to program. So, you know, at Vanderbilt, for example, with Barton Simmons, he's heavily involved with recruiting and helping identify roads in which they're going to go down to uh to to kind of recruit guys he's identifying players that they should recruit that maybe some others aren't really necessarily paying attention to or you know they feel like they can get on board you know but meanwhile other general managers are almost like director of football operations where they're kind of helping handle some uh things just like you know the logistics within a program whether it's like scheduling road trips or anything like that so it just kind of it depends uh, based off of where you're landing. But with, with Barton Simmons at Vanderbilt, what made that hire so interesting is one, this is a guy that doesn't have coaching experience and is a recruiting guy online. You know, people look at that and go, well, that's weird. But listen, you know, Barton's played the game. He's known Clark Lee almost his entire life. They played together uh, playing football. Um, they've known each other for a very long time and they, they long discussed when Clark Lee was starting to rise in the coaching industry. Like, listen, if I become a head coach somewhere, I'm bringing you on because I like the way you think with recruiting and the way you do things at 24 seven and the way he rates players. I mean, Barton did such a great job of identifying players that other recruiting services or other people in this industry didn't necessarily believe would be a, is a four-star guy, and he would hand them that rating or a five-star even, but mostly four stars. And I'll tell you what, that guy almost hit every single time when, 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 when you look at it near the end. So people are always playing catch-up with Barton. He's got a keen eye for that stuff, and that's really what Vanderbilt's counting on with him is to be able to identify players that maybe some others or maybe have on their list, but they're not really focusing on completely, because they're they're not so sure about the upside, whereas you know Barton sees it.
1: Oh yeah, there's there's nothing about that about that. And I thought you know it was it was out of the box, but I I thought it was a really great hire as well. And wanted to touch on Shane Beamer again with you for a second f- follow up with that. I know a lot of people you know question his last name, like you mentioned, but then the name certainly does open a lot of doors for him. And people say, well, he just He's just gotten where he is now because of his last name. But he's he's a really hard worker and and he doesn't definitely does not take his last name for granted. And and one of the things that that people say about him is and this whole idea in college football of having a CEO type head coach that go out and hire uh, some great coordinators. And and that way they can just kind of sit back and, and not and not focus on one position group or one side of the ball specifically, but just manage everything the way that a CEO would. And do you see that trend happening a lot uh, in the future in college football? And maybe in the next five years, will we see a lot more guys like that? Yeah. You know,
0: I I don't know. I I think that um, for now, I would think that over the next five, 10 years, it's still going to be a, 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 Uh, landscape where mostly offensive minded coaches are head coaches and are overseeing the offense. Um, But you are seeing, seeing that CEO type and what that comes from really is people see what Saban's doing at at, at Alabama or even Kirby smart to a certain extent at Georgia. um, And they go, Oh, okay. I can be, I can do that. I mean, and I don't know if that's necessarily the way to go about winning Uh, Dabo Sweeney's kind of in that, in that role as well at Clemson a little bit, but I, you know, I hear coaches going that approach, you know, I talked to Terry Bowden, who was just hired at Louisiana Monroe and he's wanting to go with that, with that approach at Louisiana Monroe. And he's trying to copy the Alabama and Clemson blueprint by getting a lot of support staffers. And what he's doing to, to do that is he's, he's hiring a bunch of graduate assistants and, and student workers to do the job jobs of what you would maybe hire a an high school coach to do on your staff, when you hire a high school coach to be on your support staff. I don't know if that's going to work or not, but he's trying. And he told himself that he was going to be a play caller there, but he says now he's going to be a CEO type there because he, there's a lot of things that he needs to do to run that program and be able to get it to be competitive off the field with fundraising and everything, I I don't know if that's going to work there, but who knows? I mean, he's got you know uh, Rich Rodriguez as his offensive coordinator, and he's just going to let him run things. But um, I, I think it just depends on your staff. And listen, it, you know, being a CEO type is nothing new. In fact, I think you know, listen, back in the old days, so to speak, and uh, that was more of the the plan of attack. Um, that's why. For example, um Frank Broyles when he was at Arkansas had so many amazing assistant coaches and that's why there's an award named after him, for the Broyles Award for the top assistant coach because that's what he did. He kind of sat back as a CEO type and hired what he thought would be amazing assistants and just let them have full control. He didn't he didn't really get in their way. He just hired what he thought would be great great coaches and you know, um I don't know if that's going to be a dominant track in the near future, but, you know, potentially it could be if, say, these smaller programs, we start to see some su- su- success from them if their coaches are a CEO type. But I-, I think for the immediate future, we're going to continue to see overwhelmingly uh, offensive-minded coaches being the head coaches because of that's just what's dominating college football right now, and they're going to continue to be involved with some of the play calling.
1: One of the – the reasons why I asked that was, uh, I'm in South Carolina, I only live about a, a hour away from Columbia. And one of the people, one of the things that I hear a lot about Shane Beamer and what they like about that hire is he, he was a, a CEO type. And because people see what Coach Sweeney's doing up the road, uh, just a few hours there in Clemson. And, and so they kind of like that idea. And, and the last thing I got for you, I know we're, we're winding down here, but the situation at, at Kansas, uh, all the things that came out about Les miles and then, uh, he he parts ways there, and then and then Jeff Long is out there as well as the athletic director. What what do you see as kind of the future there, and and what do you think's going on with the the Jayhawks program there?
0: Oh man, I, I if I was a coach, if I was a coach on the FBS level, and they Kansas ca- came calling, I would not pick up. I would not take that job. I know some guys out there want that job but I wouldn't touch it. I would not want to go there. It's the worst job in the power five. And in some ways that makes it the worst job in the FBS, because if you're the worst job in the power five, you're just not going to be able to do anything substantial there. So I I, I wouldn't touch it, but you know, listen, a lot of it's going to depend on who they hire as their athletics director. And also what the future looks like for the facilities and also for fundraising and what the what the budget looks like. But, you know, if they're gonna try and hire a coach right now, even if they were to hire an AD here in the next like say a month or two, and then they go and try and do a, a head coach hire during that, I, I wouldn't touch it. Um and if I was Kansas to be quite honest, I would I would go the interim route for this year. And get all my ducks in a row and figure out what the future is going to be like five or 10 years from now with all the off the field stuff, with, with fundraising and everything, and try to put together a package, so to speak, to be able to sell your program to potentially a head coach that could be someone there that builds that thing back up and not necessarily just, a you know, an OC at a small power five program that just wants to be a head coach somewhere and, and be there a year or two or you end up firing them after three years. Um you got to get your ducks in a row there. Otherwise, I mean, listen, that thing was a mess to begin with. It's even worse now. And if you try to hire someone at this point, just as a quick, it's just going to be a quick Band-Aid at best, other, or it's going to be a disaster. So neither of those sound flattering uh, to anybody's resume. And so I wouldn't touch it. At that, at that place is a complete mess right now. Um, but I, I think they've got, they just got to take time there um, and figure that all out. Um, and first, you, you got to get an AD and you got to have some vision.
1: There's been some speculation around uh, firing coaches with calls uh, and maybe that would be a slippery slope to go down in the future. I know with t- Tennessee and, and Kansas, they obviously have legitimate reasons for, for parting ways with their coaches, but with the, with the contracts, the way they are in college football with with head coaches and assistants and and the, the huge buyouts that we have in college football now, do you see a dangerous trend that we may go down where maybe schools are looking to, if they're not having success on the field, looking to, to maybe part ways with those coaches with calls? That way they don't have to pay the buyout money?
0: Well, I think what we're seeing is even with that, you know, you're saying you're going to fire someone with, with cause. Then the lawyers start getting involved, like we saw with Les Miles at Kansas, and they end up getting a buyout of some sort anyway. And maybe it's not the full buyout that they're expecting, but they end up coming to an agreement. So that's going to continue. I think we're going to continue to see buyouts even when they say they have cause. Because even if they have cause and they say, we're not paying you, they're going to be taking a court and they're going to get money. They're I mean, it happened at Kansas under the previous coach that took them to court, was going to take them to court, and they end up settling. And he got a buyout, even though they're trying to fire him with cause. That's just how it's gonna be. You get lawyers involved, they're gonna get money. Uh rarely does that work out for the schools. So power when it comes to power five schools, if you're trying to fire someone with cause, it better be blatant. Like you better have the coach like on tape doing something or something like that. Otherwise, their lawyers are gonna get involved, they're gonna get they're gonna get a buyout of some sort. And and then go off and 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 live their merry life. So uh, there will always be money involved if there's lawyers involved.
1: Well, awesome stuff and awesome stuff today, Brandon. Just wanted to to tell everybody if if you don't if you don't read Brandon's work there at two four seven, you're you're really missing out because he's got some some great articles out there about coaching changes. And Brandon's just been an honor to have you today. and And where can people find you on social media? And and what you got? coming up there and you're writing uh next couple weeks
0: uh i'm at b marcello on twitter at brandon marcello on instagram and uh checking me out 247 sports.com we were having a long running series on first year coaches including shane beamer at 247 sports that's continuing coming to an end soon and now we're starting to look towards spring practices the top storylines nfl draft and uh and then also looking ahead to what football might look like in the fall, not necessarily just, you know, top teams, but as we come out of this coronavirus pandemic, what it's going to look like in the stands and on the field next season.
1: Well, we're certainly hoping for, for full capacity at, at, most, at most places. And if, if you're not reading 24-7 sports, you're, you're really missing out. And, and Brandon does an incredible job with his writing. And hopefully, Brandon will get you back on again uh, before the season starts and, and preview the season with you. But hope you stay safe and well, and we'll talk soon.
0: You too. Anytime. I appreciate it. Great convo.
1: All right. That's Brandon Marcello from 24 seven sports. Make sure you check out all of his work there at two, four, seven sports.com. Some really awesome. He mentioned the stuff that he's doing on first year coaches, just some awesome content. So if you're a fan of, of any school that has a first year coach, South Carolina, Shane Beamer, Gus Malzahn, Josh Heupel, the list just goes on and on. Had so many coaching changes in the offseason, and and Brandon has it all covered right there on 247sports.com, so make sure you check that out, and thanks so much to Brandon for taking time out of his schedule to be with us today, and thank you as well for checking out Crunch Time Plays today. Make sure you subscribe to the Crunch Time Plays YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to if you want to, to, rate, to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, it certainly appreciate that. Don't forget to spread the word about the show. Share us on social media, word of mouth. Y'all are doing a fantastic job of that. Our numbers are looking fantastic. And we'll talk to you again right here next time on Crunch Time Plays. God bless everybody.